Welcome to the inaugural Taking Care of Business podcast with myself, Rob Rose. And me, Julieta Televi. And this is where you'll get the backstory to the big business stories of today. Uh, we also want to know what you'd like to know, who you want to hear about and who you want to hear from. So please get in touch and email us at TCB, uh, Taking Care of Business, at businesslive.co.za. So we figured we'd kick off this inaugural inaugural podcast with uh, a corporate horror story of sorts. And it's not Steinhoff, um, but a company called Edcon, which... Started in 1929, it's, it's one of the icons of the South African business scene. Um, but in recent years, it, it hit upon hard times. It was the best retailer in the business for decades. Um, and it was certainly good enough for private equity raiders, the U.S. company Bain Capital, to arrive here in 2007 and pay 25 billion rand to take it private. It was the largest private equity purchase in the country, and it was a big deal. Um, 20, 25 billion, by the way, in 2007 money is equivalent to about 50 billion in today's money. So it's so it was an immense deal. And it was an immense deal, but there was also an immense amount of debt that they used to buy it. Uh, then it was followed swiftly by the credit crunch of 2008, and then of course the lost decade under the great Jacob Zuma economic wrecking ball, um, which have taken a far greater toll on this company than any other retailer in South Africa which ultimately has led to last week's uh, news of a 2.7 billion rand recapitalization, the second, in fact, uh, if you like, bailout deal for the company. It's CEO Grant Patterson's plan that Edcon's backers have bought into, and he is our guest today. Hi, Grant. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Grant, well, I suppose briefly, if you wouldn't mind, could, could you mind just giving us a, a brief layout of what the plan entailed last week? And um, obviously, it's part of your wider strategy to rebuild Edcon into what it once was. But I suppose just briefly, if you could just sketch the outline of what, what happened. Yeah, so last week was the uh, the result of probably a year-long negotiation. I think it, it's been a long time coming that we could see that even post the last restructuring in uh, February 2018, there, we, we still weren't going to make it. Uh, the company couldn't afford even to support the 7.5 billion rand debt that we were left with. So this deal um, essentially has been working on that for a while. Um, and what we've ended up doing is introducing some new capital to the business. Um, most importantly, through two new shareholders, one being a group of landlords, um, our landlords, and also the UIF through the PIC, and then the remainder of the deal raising some more money out of our existing bankers. Um, really important for everyone to note that there was no bailouts. Money has gone into the company. No money is going off to anyone. Any investor, any banker has really lost all that money. So, you know, the, gr- the great shame and crisis here was just how much money has been lost Mm. um, by the original shareholders and the uh, funders. I mean, so this is effectively a clean slate for Edcon. This is a clean slate. This is the first time since 2007 we have no debt, no covenants. And for those of you who've ever had any debt, you'll know the covenants are the things that get you. And no refinancing date, no hurdle, no requirement to list, no nothing. We really have just got a runway where we can focus and, and try fix the business. It's walking past shoe shops that tends to get Juliet's into there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't actually walked past, uh, to be honest, I mean, skipping ahead to the shopping experience. I haven't actually considered an Edgar's as a shopping destination for a very long time. And I wonder if that's not the case for a lot of people who used to, who for whom Edgar's was their go-to shop. Mm. We'd have to back up there a bit and just Remember, we're talking about Edcon, not okay. just Edgar's. Mm, yeah. And I'm absolutely certain you've shopped at Edcon uh, regularly and probably more regularly than you know. Um, you know, Edcon had, has and has and sometimes will still have in various forms businesses such as Red Square. So it's pretty hard 
to avoid a red square or Edgar's Beauty. There's not a lot of other places to go, so people do shop that often. Accessorize, Licenza, Victoria's Secret, Dune, Mac. It's pretty hard to avoid us. Uh, we're, a good, we're a good portion of each mall. So it is true that perhaps... And, and CNA. CNA, Boardman's, um, are, are really there are a lot more. Yeah. Topshop, um, you know, <laughs> um, uh, River Island when it came along. I mean, we really were an enormous group of brands. Um, so everyone has shopped with us. Um, uh, but what is true is there is some criticism of Edgar's. Now, weirdly, I think Edgar's is our big best business, so we can explore that a bit more. Okay. But before you distance our, yourself as a customer <laughs> from the whole group, uh, just point out that. What is what is Edgar's as a percentage of your revenue? Half. Half. Okay. So yeah. the rest, I mean, so it's quite sizable diversification to other businesses. Yes. In fact, Edgar's and Jet is still the bulk of the business. Mm. Actually, all the other stuff has not been successful. And you can go back and work out when it was done. But Red Square, Boardman's. Um, um, a, a business called Ed, Ed, Edgar's Active, which was a mm. business uh, actually uh, converted from Discom, bought from the Clicks Group. You know, mm. uh, uh, we bought Supergroup and turned it into Jetmart. We bought all these international brands, um, business uh, from a Cape Town business. There's an enormous amount in there. Actually, all the extra stuff really hasn't worked and never really worked. The core of the business is still Edgar's mm. and Jet. I, I remember just on that point, um, CNA went into liquidation at one stage. And I think that, that Edcon then bought out several of the stores from liquidation, the best stores. But, I mean, I suppose part of the problem with a company like CNA or an asset like CNA is it's in a declining market, I suppose, where, where people aren't buying books and magazines like they used to. Um, and in the era of specialists as well, you have things like Typo, which is now a specialist stationery store. Things The market has changed radically. So you have an asset that is struggling. The real issue is CNA used to be the one-stop shop in the 80s and 90s, but things have changed. I mean, how do you do you ever, what do you do with CNA, for example? Yeah, so just again, just to, to, to draw your attention to a trend is that retailers go bust all the time. Mm. And if we just go back and think about South Africa, Stutterfords, African Bank, um, with, with Ellerines, is businesses are okay, checkers, <laughs> you know, business, uh, retailers are regularly going out of business. This is not a new trend. Um, they do get sometimes rescued. So CNA, for instance, was at one mm. stage owned by um, uh, Wooltrue. In fact, I was one of the people who went along to see uh, what we could do with CNA. It then got sold to a, a family business who then um, didn't do well with it, got put into liquidation, and Edcon came and, and rescued it and, and, and bought it out. Um, all retailers essentially suffer from the same problem. They start off as focused core businesses with a, dis, a distinct set of customers. Typically, that was formed when the business was one or two stores. The yeah. owners and the entrepreneurs figured out what the business what made it work, and then uh, retailers then go through this next period, which is all you do is open stores. You mm. take the same formula, and you just open, 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 and then you run out of growth, and then you start doing silly stuff like buying CNA out of liquidation and creating Red Square and buying all these international brands, business. You run out of things to do. And and at that stage, and you go back in the history, what Edcon was just pumping itself up. It got listed, it was pumping itself up for sale, and it got sold. Mm. Um, and it's those things that you do outside of your core business that instead of evolving your core business to keep up with the market trends, you start doing other stuff and your core business dies. Um, Grant, are you saying that in a way that Edcon, that the mistakes that have led to the two um, recapitalizations um, were actually made even before Edcon was bought out by Bain Capital? And I know though that you said last week, Bain Capital deal, the amount of debt that it saddled the company with was ground zero for Edcon's fortunes in the last couple of years. But 
you know, was the genesis of mistakes made even before then? Absolutely. And, and, and look, I remember I built my retail career in this period of 2000 to 2008. I mean, it was a great time to be a new retailer. Sort of everything you did worked. As long as you, had the, as long as you were bold and you bought stock and you bought businesses, they tended to work because the economy was growing so fast. So um, it's in those environments that a lot of mistakes get made because your mistakes – um, get covered up. They get covered up by the yeah. fact that uh, during that period, Edgar's and Jet were so busy, they had to double the number of tools uh, in the stores just to keep the queues right. So the fact that actually perhaps all these other decisions were bad just gets covered up by the underlying. And it's that, I mean, there must be, there must be books on natural mm. evolutionary business cycle where you, during the good times, you do all the stupid stuff uh, and then you pay for it in the bad times and you pay particularly hard if you finance all those bad things with debt yeah. or in this case, refinance them with debt. It. Then the tide goes out and you're left there and all the mistakes come to the surface. That's really fascinating. I mean, I do think that to some extent, like like you just mentioned, Edcon might have reached a, a certain crisis stage anyway had the Bain Capital deal not happened because of the changing retail landscape, because of the fact that you had new entrants, because of the fact that, you know, companies need to have a particular vision. And I suppose the Bain Capital deal meant that perhaps the company took its eye off the merchandising to some extent because it was so worried about the debt. But would it not? Would it always have reached a stage of existential crisis at some stage, even had Bain Capital not arrived? Yes, it would have. Res- it would have gone through some sort of crisis. I mean, you know, let's com- let's define crisis. Sometimes, in a profitable, growing business, uh, a crisis is when you're earnings have grown for 10 years and then start declining. You still make two or three Mm. billion rand. That's some level of crisis and many CEOs lose their jobs just for that. Now, uh, the difference between that sort of crisis, which I agree with you would have come along anyway, and the crisis we're in is the debt. Mm. And debt, and that's my learning, by the way, I grew up in businesses with no debt. In fact, uh, MassMart, at one stage, the bigger you made it, the more cash it produced. Mm. Never even went to a banker's office in the 17 years I was there. They came to see me. Um, But really, what I've learned since then. That's one of the key issues that we should remember from this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. What what I've learned about this experience, uh, which which I have some fortune in that I didn't cause any of the problems, but yet I've still managed to get the learning, is debt, particularly secured debt, particularly unlisted secure debt is very, very dangerous. And when things go wrong, it's no longer about whether the CEO keeps their job or not, or management keep their job, or shareholders lose some money. It's about the company's survival, Mm. because you have to pay the money back. If Edcon had not done the debt deal, all of those experiments would have been funded by equity, and what would have happened is the equity owners would have been crushed because they lost their money and they would have fired the board and management. Yeah. We never have that. We didn't get that privilege. Like all the board and management got fired anyway. But it then turns into a survival fight. I mean, what is interesting is that you said last week Bain Capital should be held morally liable for using um, offshore loans, foreign foreign debt, to pay for a South African retailer. Um, basically, you've, you're exposed to the most volatile currency in the world and you've got foreign debt that you've got of service. Why did the Edcon board not see this as you, as you saw it? Um, and uh, as you saw it at the time, which is what you said to me, you and Guy Hayward, in fact, approached by Bain Capital in the same period. Well, wait a sec. So, so just to ask on that. So Bain Capital approached you when you were at, at MassMart? Correct. Yeah, you, I wasn't the CEO you, then. Guy, um, Mark Limberti was the CEO. Guy yeah. was the CFO. And I think I was either the CEO designate or the CEO. So you told them to take a hike? Yeah. To tell you the truth, if, if, if we explore this a bit more, you know, I was a bit more interested. You know, it sounded, <laughs> you know, at the end of an eight-year run, gearing 
uh, can be quite exciting because it can return an enormous amount of money to shareholders. Um, and, and the share prices will respond and everyone will love that. So I was a little bit more interested. Um, you know, you, you'd have to speak to Guy about what his actual reasons at the time were, but Guy said absolutely over my dead body. When I asked him about it, Guy had come out of Goldman Sachs banking, and I think he had seen the story from the other side. Mm, sure, that's fascinating. And, and the Edcon board, I mean, that's, you know, I, I, you know, you can't speak for Steve Ross, you can't speak, uh, but they were canny operators, you would have thought. Yeah. And yet they they jumped into this deal with alacrity. So it depends on what mood you get me in. Some, sometimes I'll blame <laughs> it all on them. Um, they were a listed company. They had an obligation to, I suppose, once they'd considered the deal and they thought it was at least uh, interesting enough to pass on to their shareholders, they did pass the, de- the deal on to the shareholders. The shareholders took the deal. Yeah. They took the money and they invested it somewhere else. Uh, you know, why isn't this a, a much bigger story in South Africa other than the impending disaster? Is it, it was really all foreign money that got lost? So foreign bondholders, foreign equity. Recently, you know, the South African banks have become exposed to it. But the smart money then took the cash, invested it elsewhere in the country um, economy, and the foreigners took the hit. Yeah. But it, it also speaks about the, the schism between um, sort of the, the company's immediate shareholders who are looking for a return on their money now, who said yes to the deal, and the longer-term survival of a company that, you know, because of what was happening, because of the cash crunch to repay debt, um, you know, it, it does put pressure on you to, to to retrench staff, to keep costs. I mean, it certainly means that it wasn't just the foreigners who lost out. I mean, locally, we've lost out to an Edgar's that could have been a lot more vital than it was, a lot more um, energetic and a lot more relevant, I suppose, because people were so busy keeping an eye on the debt. Correct. So I think it's it's right. There are more victims than, than, than just the shareholders. And there were almost everyone else was a victim. So it does, it does focus one's mind. And certainly going forward as a director of a company, I'm going to always be checking in my, with myself and answering that question. Is this the best thing in the interest of the company? Not necessarily just the shareholders. So it's, you know, it's quite hard to figure out what part of capitalism you believe in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because if you just think about shareholders' interest, it, it was a great deal. If you think about the actual company interest, it wasn't a good hmm. deal. I mean, does it make it easier because you're not listed? That yes, you do. You do have. You essentially do have shareholders. You've got people who've come in now through the recapitalization, I guess. Um, but but you don't have the pressure of answering to shareholders on a stock exchange. No, I, I, didn't, I don't think being listed or unlisted changes that dynamic at all. You know, it's the same Companies Act. It's the same King Code. It's apl- applicable to everyone. I don't, I don't think the listed component uh, affects that debate at all. It affects other debates, but not that particular okay. one. Do you, do you think, I mean, that there has been a sense from people that they said Ed, Edgar's was too big to fail. And certainly if you look at its space, 100,000 families, it, you know, you'd have to say if this were to fail be an immense hole in so many people's lives. Um, is that is that what got the property landlords? They would have a lot to lose if, if Edcon were to collapse. I mean, how difficult was it to get everyone on sides? And and do you think that that notion of Edgar's being too big to fail was true? No, no. So I, I don't believe Ed, Edgar's is too big to fail or Edcon's too big to fail. It's certainly painful, you know, if it fails. Um, uh, it, it It's more... It's more important to our manufacturing industry than our retail industry. Yeah. I, you know, Edgar's and Jet and the brands would be missed for a while, but not long. It's not, not lots of people, you know, cry over Stutterfords. High props uh, directors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are, but still, you know, if you go and look, in there, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little dent in their businesses. Mm. No, I mean, look, it's very important. Edcon is much more important to the manufacturing industry than it is to the retail industry. Let me just say that. The space would be filled by someone else. You know, the, the, the turnover, I suppose, would probably also be taken up by someone 
someone else. Now, we, were, we may have been too big to fail, but just for the manufacturing industry, but that's not why we were saved. We were saved, I think, in an argument that said, if Edcon is a dead business, because it's a dead business, let it die, but why is Edcon still doing 24 billion rand turnover, bigger than most, mm. And its competitors who even do less make three or four billion rand profit. So is it the industry that's dead or our format that's dead or is it that we just stuffed it up? And I think the answer to that so far is the business is savable, leadership management and the shareholders mess the thing up. So change them, which has all been changed now, and try and just be a decent retailer. Um, it's unfortunate now that as we get there, I think the retail economy may become the problem. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, it didn't get us here but it may be one of the things that um, keep us down. It could be worse. You could have bought a business in Australia. Yes. <laughs> um, Grant, it's, it's fascinating that, uh, well, at least to me, that Edgar's or Edcon uses so much local manufacturing, whereas I don't think other retailers do. We, I mean, you clearly stand out as, as the big uh, link in that whole supply chain. Why is it that, that you maintain such a big South African manufacturing base or supply base? So we've owned our manufacturing base for a while. So... Um, Edcon for many years, and I don't know who made that decision, by the way, I've never gone back and studied that, is we bought a company called Selrose, and then we bought a company called Edel. So Selrose manufactures woven adult clothing, and Edel's manufactures um, ladies and men's footwear, originally a leather business. Um, and so I think because Edcon had this asset, it understood much earlier than anyone else that the benefits of local manufacturing, the benefits of short-term cycles, fast fashion. I mean, are there benefits, especially uh, if benefits. you're competing against a Zara or where maybe your fashion is a bit more acute than, yeah. than local it, offerings? It, it's actually the difference between success and failure, you know. You know, customers and um, commentators and critics will probably always focus on the garments. You know, oh, Edcon's not doing well because we haven't got the right garments or the right style or the right color or the right fabric. I'm not sure I buy into that, by the way, because clothing is clothing and we know what sells and what doesn't sell. And what we generally do is we just manufacture more and buy more of the stuff that sold last season with a couple of tweaks than, and stop buying the stuff that doesn't sell. The big, the big a variable in fashion retail is really the economy and how much you sell. And once you've bought it, you have to sell it. And so the big variation, by the way, is I, you know, if, if I buy a uh, thousand items and I sell five hundred, I've got to clear the other five hundred, usually below cost, and I end up with nothing. Yeah. If I had bought six hundred, I'd have made lots of money. And so. What you want as a fashion retailer is you want to be able to take your best bet at what's going to sell this year. It's not a huge variation on last year like everyone maybe points to. Uh, and by 60% of what you think you're going to sell, watch it for the first couple of weeks it arrives. Mm -hmm. And then say, these are the styles, colors, um, trends that are working and buy more of that and manage to get it into the stores before the season ends. That's really what Zara's done to the world. So, so we so all have to do that. So if you've got a local supply base, it's we easy can do to that. do that. Yeah, okay. so, so, so essentially what you do is you go to a Selrose or, or one of the local manufacturers. They make a commitment on fabric. Okay, so a, a knit or a woven fabric, um, grayish, so that means no color in it. And then you ask, let's have this in these colors and these styles. Um, you, they still have some of that fabric. Um, you start selling, you want more of this, you go back to them, they cut and sew and send it to you. And also you're then starting to buy it in the right sizes. And that is what Sarah has done to the world, is they have forced you into, the, into reacting uh, rather than um, just taking a big bet and then winning or losing. Yeah. 
I was going to ask about, I mean, you said you don't necessarily buy that criticism that, the, that it got a bit bad on the shop floor, that the fashion wasn't great, that, you know, there was lots of criticism about the impression of going to, into Edgar's store was that sometimes it seemed tacky, it seemed like the staff might not have been motivated enough and that the fashion wasn't great. Surely the fashion is an important point of it. Surely that's what you compete against Zara and H&M on? You certainly compete in the margins on fashion. So I was making that, that, that point about the garment. I, I think the criticism of the service and the tattiness of the stores is 100% right. You know, and that's about cash. You know, that's was about that, well, why? I mean, in terms of not paying people high yeah, enough, that, what uh, not enough staff and not refurbishing your stores because everyone okay. was so focused on the debt and they well, just was, didn't have spare there was no cash. cash. So, okay. so, so when you EBITDA multiply a private equity deal, you assume cash capital is zero. If you're running a proper business on 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 EBIT, you spend your depreciation on maintaining your business. This is the difference mm. between the two worlds. So, so Edcon started paying back the debt or paying back the interest by not spending the capital in the stores, and that affect the tattiness of the store and it affects the staff because you drop the staff levels too low you know if you're one if, if you're understaffed by 30 percent you've got very unhappy staff yeah. okay uh, on, on the garments what i've learned remember i'm new to this industry is fundamentally south africans are conservative they're pretty much buying the same stuff that they've always bought i'm sure you don't look too different to what you did, <laughs> did 20 <laughs> years ago I do. <laughs> <laughs> um you know um uh, so, so what I've learned is a, a thing called the fashion pyramid, which is the bulk of the stuff that we buy. Go and open your wardrobes, have a look at them. The bulk of the stuff is basics. Everything's in navies, whites, and blacks, and you've got a pair of trousers and a blouse. And, the odd cerise. Correct. And then, and then on the margin, and, and because we all go to work and we all spend our weekends in the same sort of type of clothing. You know, actually, the biggest shift probably recently is we like uh, active wear. You know, we like to look like sports people over the weekend, even though we don't do sports. Um, that's been a big shift. Um, but otherwise, you, your business, a business like Ed, Edgar's and Jet, by the way, which is in every mall right across the country, we can't niche out our customers. We've got to sell to everyone, really. Um, in our case, we focus on people who are part of a family. The basics is really where you, the business is made or, or broken. And then you need a splash, and it's called the pyramid because it's the upper bit. You need a splash of color. Actually, walk around the malls and look around. Not many people are wearing bright colours, but you need some in your store to make it look nice, and then some fashionable items. Um, otherwise, most things are basic. And let me, let me just say that a, a torn jean with stretchy material um, is a basic. You know, it, mm. it, it, people may call it fashionable, but that's actually just what jeans look like now. So that's what I mean by basics. I'm not talking about underpants and socks. I'm talking about the stuff that sold last year. Is it not? I mean, I, I suppose the issue was that my, my father worked at Edgar's years ago. I mean, there was a sense that 20 years ago that Edgar's was the place to be. I mean, it was a fundamental place of our economy. Things changed when we liberalized uh, our, our entire sector and more people came in. But the issue is that Edgar's doesn't have the kind of relevance and positioning in our society that it used to have. Well, actually, 20 years ago, it wasn't a great business, by the way. So 20 years ago, it was bought by SAB. Okay. Okay. What did SAB do to the business? SAB is a brand business. They actually launched the things, the Edgars we know today in 1994, okay. 1995. They launched, they went from sort of Edgars branded clothing and they launched Kelso, Free to Be, Stone Harbor. That was all done in that era. You could see the stamp of SAB on, on, on Edcon. Um, uh, 10 years ago, it was the best retail in South Africa. It had the best systems, it had the best supply chain, it had the best of everything. We had it was foremost for in mind. Foreign buying offices. It was an incredibly powerful organization. It's exactly the same company it was 10 years ago because no one spent any money on it since then. <laughs> so it's just a 10-year-old, very, very good retailer. But it's still very good. If you came in, I've got all the information I need. I can find out sales every two hours. It's a remarkably competent organization. 
unfortunately now having lost much of the skills that it had 10 years ago because people want to work for the the new up and coming companies investing in things so how I mean, do you how do you make it how do you reassert itself on the top of that retail permit? How does it, what does Edgar's in 10 years time look yeah. like? Is it back at the top of that chain and how do you do that? It's, well, yeah, certainly the vision is to get it back there. How do you do that? Well, now I've got to take a slightly different position as I can't recruit and, and do my selling story or come and join the best retail in South Africa. What, can I, what I can do is I can say, come and join the best turnaround story, the sleeping giant, the, you know, how do you make money in a poor economy? You come in at the bottom and you get out at the top, you know. Mm. So this is the sort of, to employees and suppliers and people who want to invest in the business, that's the story I've got to sell. And, and what about, uh, I, I don't know if we overstate the the, competi- the competition posed by uh, retail, retailers like Zara and H&M Cotton On. Are they a formidable threat or is it just to a, a, a very narrow market um, and a niche market that, that they are formidable? Size-wise, it's very na- narrow niche, and they're probably over-expanded, by the way. If you if you keep your eye on these things, you'll see them, them scaling back now as they discover the the volatility of a, of an emerging market. You know, they're used to this sort of just wealthy average person just pounding away and, you know, marginal changes. This, this economy is all over the place. So I think they're learning lessons. They did much more by perception than volume. So they changed the game, but they changed it in people's expectation yeah. of what you should get out of yeah, a retailer. Because they've got cachet, right? Um, and I think Zara has got, uh, if you're looking at sort of um, upper LSM customers, yeah. they want to shop at Zara or at Trinary yeah. or Country Road, not necessarily uh, good well, old. Leaders. I'm not sure about your last few examples. I'll buy, I'll buy your <laughs> first ones. Um, uh, you know, I'm not sure the Australian brands are really, you know, are, are what South Africans look up to. You know, I would hope any sports enthusiastic rejects those brands outright. No, <laughs> well, but he wants the green and gold, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in fact, this I mean, this is this is a beautiful story, beautiful but ugly story. Is those the the the, the those foreign companies, and I think it's definitely H and M, Cotton On, and Zara come in. Okay, and they change the expectation of this of the sovereign consumer, you correct with those people who have international sensibilities, who look overseas for trends. And that that is 10 years ago, the upper end of the market. What Edcon decides to do to respond to that is bring in its own international brands. Okay, so they think, here comes international brands, let me bring in my own. Absolutely spectacular failure. Um, prices go up, um, margins go down because you're now sharing brand um, uh, uh, fashion fit um, volumes are being made outside the country and not inside the country. So it was a spectacular failure. Um, the, the Bernie Brooks who came in correctly said, no, 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 no. As did Trueworths and Foschini and Mr. Price and Pep and Ackermans. Their response to that was, know, we're going to become better at private brand and local manufacturer and okay. local brands. And that is a, quite an interesting lesson. It's like when you get a fright um, because the market's about to change, you don't necessarily just leap at the obvious solution, which is to respond with what they're bringing. Um, the same could be said of QSR restaurants. You know, um, uh, income, don't bring in uh, Burger King. <laughs> income all these foreign brands, but actually who's still around? You know, foreign brands have struggled. Local brands are still there, churning uh, away at it. Huh? Are you it's saying this with, the, with with your hat of chairman of Taste Holdings? Correct. Right? I, yeah, I've, I've watched this. It's, it's very interesting to watch. Yeah. You know, it's not, you know, I think South Africans in our collective insecurity used to look overseas um, as for, yeah, either to America or to Europe and say, this is where the world's, this is where we learn from the world. In fact, I think one of the more important trends that we, we with Edgars and Jet are going to tie into is I think South Africans have, 
their confidence has increased despite um, um, despite the politics. And they're saying, we've got our own style and our own fashion, and we're quite proud of who we are. And so if you see the new Edgars and Jetta adverts, we're trying actually to to go into that and saying, we, we no longer want our European and American trends. What are the South African trends? And let's follow those, and let's be proud, proud about that. And that's why local manufacturing, I think, is going to become a strategic advantage where we can t- be proudly South African and branded locally because of local trends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not all just, it's, it, it used to be a patriotic duty, and I think it's a commercial imperative. Mm. I was going to ask, I mean, you, you yourself have been involved in two of the biggest corporate deals in the last 20 years in this country, the Walmart's um, purchase of, of MassMart, uh, the, Edcon, the Edcon situation, and you could even say three with the, what's happening in Taste Holdings involving buying Domino's and Starbucks. I mean, how different have the experiences been? Which has been harder? Which has been, and why? Why? Why have you found it such? Um, yeah, I think they've all been different. the The, the Walmart deal was was the the easiest to get done, I think. Um, but we had an opponent, so we had someone who um, was either trying to stop the deal or needed to to do their best to stop the deal without stopping it. I'm not quite sure what the ultimate solution there was. So that was very much an us and them. Type of uh, type of adversary, um, but the commercials were were clear, and the and the the the, the, the outcome was reasonably clear. Um, this this deal is interesting in that its 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 commercials were not clear at all, <laughs> um, and it and there wasn't a single opponent to the deal. So I never sat opposite anyone, uh, other than if I can call them some Twitter idiots who are like <laughs> p- close the thing down, you know. Um, Not referring uh, to me or Rob, are you? No, that's, no, no. that's Twitter for you, right? <laughs> That's Twitter. Twitter, there's experts with, no, with yeah. no information. Other than a few of those, every person I ever met said, look, um, you know, you know, we understand the commercialism of capitalism where, you know, the, the weak should die, but no one wanted the deal, to, no one wanted the company to go under. So uh, it was very hard to get people to part with their money to save the company, but everyone wanted to save the company. So the main difference between the Walmart and, the, and this deal is I was essentially fighting people in one deal and then just really trying to drag a collective group of people over the line on the other. So th- this was never not going to happen? No, no, I, I, think, I, think, I think without some, some, some very specific interventions, I think, I think we were very close to the end. What, what interventions? Um, I, I would say that... that um, uh, and, and, and you know, this would be the first time I acknowledge this publicly. Um, is I think without union support, Saktu, Sukawu, and Kosatu, there is some chance that the pressure that's currently on the investors of public money, yeah. there there was too much risk in the deal. This needed a call, needed someone to to say, okay, I'm taking the chance. I can see I'm going to lose all my money. I'm going to take the chance. In the current environment, who really wants to be that public mm-hmm. official who makes that decision? And so without the, the support of Saktu, Kasatu, and mm-hmm. um, uh, which one am I leaving? Sakawi, Kasatu, and Saktu, without them, uh, they they gave the political will, I think, to say, okay, if, if, if the unions are behind this, then the political cost will be minimalized. Because mm-hmm. that's quite different from the mass mart Walmart well, it's opposite. It's the opposite, <laughs> it's right? And by the way, they're the same people. So yeah. uh, one of the experiences <laughs> I was sharing was, was it's, it's, it's the same individuals in the Walmart deal, just in different uh, roles. Yeah. Um, Grant, just one last question. Post uh, Walmart's acquisition of MassMart and your departure from the company, I don't think you ever needed to work again. So why why do we find you here? This is a tough job, and and 
you know, this is a big retailer that you've got to get over the line. Why Why did you decide to take on this job? And does this mean you're going to be CEO of Eskom next? <laughs> yeah, we can. That's another. That's another podcast. Um, yeah. So. So. Uh, look, I, I knew, you know, I've had an unusual career, and it started very young, and, and uh, that's another old podcast about why that happened. Um, so I always knew that one of my problems in my life was going to be I was going to um, get to the end of one career at a, at a far too young age. And so my intention was actually to do what I'm doing, but in a different industry. But EdCon came along. Um, by the way, also ESCON came along at the same time. So I actually did participate in the ESCON CEO role. So s- somewhat per chance that I ended up in EdCon and not ESCON. Which would you have preferred? Um, I would have done either, by the way. The ESCON job, you know, you've got to add two noughts onto EdCon to, to um, compare the two problems. But they're actually quite similar. Um, I am. I, I studied electrical engineer. I'm not an enge- engineer. I'm not a professional engineer, but I studied it. So, I, I do think I, 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 I could have been of some assistance there. But you know, you, it's all opportunistic. This one came along first. And the Guptas didn't control your supply chain at Econ. Well, they would have. I suspect had I ever been offered the job at Econ, my my list of conditions might have excluded me from the from the job. <laughs> Grant, um, it's been fantastic having you in the studio, especially um, our first chat has been our best to date. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us and all the best uh, with, with, with the next three years. Thank you.